So if you are uh, new this morning, uh, we have been studying 2 Peter. So uh, if you have a Bible or a mobile Bible with you, I'd ask you to try to find that. It is one of the last books in the New Testament. We're like four back from the book of Revelation, so it shouldn't be too difficult to find. This is actually a great, uh, a great lesson to uh, just jump in on um, because Peter kind of recaps the whole letter here in the first couple of verses. Um, I have not always been a young adults pastor. I used to be um, a, the middle school pastor here at East Cooper, and uh, I love middle schoolers. They were ridiculous in some ways. But um, one thing I would always do when I was teaching uh, for middle schoolers is at some point during the lesson, I would say something like, hey, just in case I've lost you, all right, tune back in. I'd even be like, hey, let me see your, let me see your eyeballs, okay? Look at me, just to like make sure, because middle schoolers are so terrible paying attention, okay? Um, and a part of that was just a, a speaking technique to actually make sure someone heard one thing I said. But another part of it was just, I get it, you're human, you're sluggish, like, just in case you're sleeping, you know, just tune in. And um, even, even doing that, it was unbelievable. Like, I'd be like, hey, so, you know, you know, anything the Lord did in your life in the lesson? He's like, yeah, weren't we in, like, John, maybe? Like, they, they don't even know, like, what book of the Bible we're in. So, anyways, um, but it, it can be surprising how similar uh, we are uh, to when we were middle school, especially when it comes to how we hear and respond to the scriptures. Many of you guys have been here for our short series on Second Peter. I bet if I had a quiz right now, a little Sunday school quiz, all right, and I had a few questions, what's the main point of Second Peter? What are the main sections? What have we learned so far, right? Or maybe a little life quiz, like how has your life been transformed as we've read this book? I would probably get a lot of blank stares, all right? Yeah, okay, good. All right, we got one, all right? But, uh, but in this passage, uh, these last few passages, Peter is like a really good youth pastor. He kind of knows the middle schooler in all of us. He understands that we're human, that that in our hearts and sometimes in our minds, our, our responses to the scriptures are very, uh, very poor. And so, uh, in these first couple verses of Second Peter three, he says, "Just in case you've been sleeping, all right, or you've missed Sunday school, here is what this whole book is about." Uh, so just just notice. We'll, we'll read the whole passage in a second, but in Second Peter three. Uh, verses 1 and 2, he says, This is now the second letter I'm writing to you. I am trying to stir your up your sincere mind by way of reminder. That's the whole point of the book. Peter is not uh, teaching us new things. He's reminding us of the main things. And the main thing is in verses 2 and 3, that we should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord Jesus knowing that scoffers or those false teachers will come in the last days. So, uh, just in case you have been sleeping, all right? Peter's desire for us this morning is that our, heart is st- that our hearts are stirred, that our affections for Jesus are stirred, and that we are, we are enlivened to live the Christian life. And this is the main passage Peter wishes to do that in us. This is the truth that he wants us to focus on to stir our hearts up. So let's... Uh, Let's hear it. This is 2 Peter 3. Again, we'll read verses 1 uh, to 13. This is now the second letter I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. 
Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of Jesus' coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort, ought, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which... The heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we just ask for um, vision this morning to see uh, the day that this passage describes that you would just relieve us from the haze in which we live, enable us to, to look to that day, to have, have clear sight, I pray. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. So I have this uh, recurring dream that is kind of a nightmare. It reveals a lot about me. Uh, it's the same every time. I'm back in college, and um, there's this one class that I thought was stupid, and so uh, I have slacked off. I haven't even been to this class yet. All right, and uh, here's the dream. Okay, I wake up, and today is the day of the final exam. And uh, not only have I not been to class and not studied for this exam, I haven't done any of the assignments. And so I have to. I, I wake up, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I forgot today's the final exam. And I have to run and find my teacher, somehow pass the exam, and beg for mercy. But here's the catch: I can't even find the classroom. So in this dream, in, in, in my dream, this is horrible, okay? I'm just running around these school hallways, like anxiously trying to find the classroom, and I can't. And I wake up in a sweat, and I go, thank the Lord college is over, you know? Um, but uh, at the risk of psychoanalyzing myself in public, um, I think uh, more than my PTSD from no sleep exam weeks in college, I think, I think this dream reveals, like, like many of you guys, that I have a deep fear of not being prepared for something important, of being surprised by something that I should have known about all along and been preparing for, but I'm just hanging out, and I wake up one day, and it's too late. And it's funny how true uh, our dreams can be sometimes. Um, this passage in 1 Peter 3 uh, talks about a central reality in the Christian faith, uh, the bodily return of Jesus, that all over the Bible says can come any day, and when Jesus returns, history is over. We all stand before him. He, we stand before his judgment throne, and we receive from him 
either everlasting life or everlasting death, depending on our response to him in this life. And this, uh, aside from uh, maybe doctrines like the authority of Scripture or the Trinity or the Gospel, is one of the main things the Bible teaches. In fact, uh, it's such a main thing that even in this, in this crazy story in the Gospels where the thief on the cross, you guys have probably heard this story, there's a guy, he's crucified next to Jesus, all right? And as he's dying, he repents, right? And Jesus says to him today, you'll be with me in paradise. Anybody remember what the, what the, what the thief says to Jesus, what he says? He says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom, right? And he's saying that to a guy who's dying, and he's certainly going to die soon. So even this guy, who really knew almost nothing about Jesus, understood that one day he would return um, and have his kingdom. And yet, uh, for a variety of reasons, even though it's so central in the scriptures, If this cosmic exam day was tomorrow, I wonder if we would even be able to find the classroom. Um, Many of us might be nervous about this day, and so we numb ourselves to it. Some of us are too busy. Some of us are just really, we just like our lives, and we're not really concerned. Um, But just think for a second. Uh, When was the last time you had a conversation, if you're a Christian, you had a conversation with a fellow believer um, that involved any idea of Jesus returning, right? Um, many of us are much more like those guys in James 4 who are like, hey, yeah, today, tomorrow, well, we're going to go to this city, and things are going to be great. It's going to be awesome. And James says, you don't even know if you're going to be alive tomorrow, right? Much of our conversations and plans are presumption. And Peter, like a great youth pastor or a really good father figure, he knows this about us. He knows that we are prone to forget. And so he gives us to stir up our hearts, this very colorful and intense picture of the day when Jesus will return. And he lays out two kinds of people uh, in relationship to this day. First, you see the scoffers who mock this idea, and then you see the beloved who are called to wait. So let's, let's just walk through and see those people. So first, uh, we see that even though this day is certainly coming, most people are scoffing about it. Notice he says, uh, verse 3, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. What is a scoffer? A scoffer is someone who mocks, who hears the truth and says, man, that's crazy. There's no way that could happen. Uh, they're the person who uh, maybe you're, you're trying to share your faith and you talk about, yeah, you know, you, eventually when you're sharing your faith, you have to get to the point of like, hey, man, one day you're going to stand before God and answer for your life, right? Um, I've had many conversations like that, and people would be like, man, I I don't believe a God of love would judge me, right? A God of love is not going to send people to hell, right? What those people are doing, they're scoffing the idea, right? They don't know it, maybe, but they're scoffing the idea that God will return or will judge. Um, But more than that, I think what is more, uh, more prevalent and maybe more dangerous for us in this room it's what I will call a scoffing by omission. Now, omission just means an absence, okay? It's a lack of something. So what I'm saying here is it's not just what you say, okay? It's what you don't say. And I think we live in a culture uh, that everything we say about life, all of our media, all of our conversations in the public square, everything we do assumes that life just goes on and on and on and on and on, right? Um, 
we have an entire worldview and a lifestyle and a media and an advertisement culture in America that assumes that this life is the only life you're going to have to find enjoyment, meaning, that, that what happens to you now, that if your dreams come true, that's the most important thing. And uh, it's kind of like a haze in which we live. It's like, uh, it's like every meal we eat, we have the same condiment. Just imagine if you had to put 10 ounces of ketchup on everything you ate, right? Eventually, all you would taste would be ketchup, right? That's what we have in our day. Every, every conversation we have, all the TV shows we watch, right? Me and Sarah are even watching the show right now, and I, I, can't, uh, even t I can't recommend it publicly because it has gotten so dark, and we may not even watch it. But anyway, it's a show about a family, and they've got some junk, and uh, there's this one brother that's really terrible, and the uh, big brother of the family who's supposed to be the good guy, okay, uh, ends up murdering his brother, right? Again, it's dark, okay? We may not watch it anymore. But uh, in the rest of the show, it's one of those shows like uh, Breaking, I've never seen Breaking Bad, but I've heard that you just watch people spiral into darkness. It's one of those shows that teaches you that one act can really drastically take you down. And here's the crazy thing. In all of the consequences of this action, all of the brokenness it brings, nothing, nothing at all is even mentioned about this guy's life of the Lord or his fate. It's all, oh, his conscience is hurting him. He can't, he can't sleep at night. Or he's got to hide it now. Like he's, you know, he's roping people into his schemes, right? There's nothing at all um, about God's judgment or about this guy's fate. Um, and that is typically every movie we've ever watched. It's all about this life. And uh, we may not be joining in in the scoffing, but, my, but most of us, it's very possible that we are living our Christian lives for the here and now. That our, that our hopes and dreams, that our desires, that the decisions we make are based on what is best for me now in this life. There's a little thought to the future. Peter knows that, and he wants us to wake up to see this scoffing. So he gives us a few truths about these scoffers, okay? First, notice uh, that the scoffers are predicted. He says here in uh, verses 2 and 3 that, um, Remember the predictions of the holy prophets and commandment of the Lord, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come. The idea here is that in every, Peter is referencing a large volume of Old Testament and New Testament passages where, where the Lord says there will be scoffers. Uh, maybe a great example of this is in the middle of the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is prophesying judgment on a city. The armies are coming, and the people are like, man, this ain't going to happen. You're crazy, man. Uh, the idea here, though, is scoffers are nothing new. They've been around, and they're, all, they're always going to be people who scoff at God's revelation. So be aware. Don't be influenced by them. Know what they're doing. Notice also uh, people scoff because of their sin. Notice uh, in verse 3, it says that the scoffers will come with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. And verse 5 goes on and says they are deliberately overlooking the facts. This is, really, uh, this is really interesting. I think one of the most convincing apologetics for the Bible is that it's the one book in the world that actually understands how people work. Okay, People, people don't objectively with uh, no, no skin in the game, look at facts and say, these look more true to me. I'm going to live accordingly. Nobody does that. What everybody does, all right, um, at least before Jesus, okay, they have a lifestyle that they like, and they have things they want to do, 
and they make up their worldview to suit their desires. You've probably, uh, you've probably noticed that in your life, perhaps. You've said things or thought things to justify what you've done, knowing it's wrong. Well, listen, that is the reason Americans today scoff at the idea of God's judgment. It's not that God's judgment is an abhorrent thing. It's not that it's an unusual thing. It's been well-known and embraced for thousands of years. There's a good God in heaven who judges the wicked. But in our culture today, all right, what people want determines their worldview. They want to be independent. They want to live their own life. They want to be able to be immoral and not worry about it, right? And then, out of result of that desire, then they scoff. So just know that. Uh, I think uh, know that in the lives of people that you uh, seek to minister to. Know that primarily uh, what you pray for them is not intellectual revelation, but a softened heart, right? But Peter says, hey, listen, uh, you scoffers, okay? They're not just following their desires. They are deliberately overlooking the facts of history. Okay, in verse 5, again, this is, a, this is a complicated and colorful description here, but the idea of verses 5 to 7, okay, is that the heavens and earth existed a long time ago. God made the earth out of water. That's from Genesis 1, okay? But then in Genesis 6, God destroyed the earth with water. So there's already uh, written in the scriptures and written in creation uh, this very clear example that, yes, in fact, God does come suddenly without warning into history uh, to judge. And scoffers deliberately overlook the facts. So just know, uh, rejection of Christianity is never a mere intellectual one. There's always moral rejection. What we pray for is not just convincing arguments, but people's hearts to be softened. Um, But also, uh, if you are a Christian who lives in this kind of culture that is very hazy about that day, right? Um, You live in a time where where you never hear about the return of Jesus uh, in the daily conversations. Uh, You need to labor uh, at keeping your eyes clear. You need to labor at having a view of this day. And so next, Peter goes to what this looks like, how, uh, how this goes. How do you keep your eyes open? How do you get stirred up? Uh, first notice he, uh, in verse 8, uh, he calls his readers beloved. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved. Um, it means loved by God. That's the idea there. And um, this is talking about the end of history, talking about uh, history ending and standing before God and answering for your life. Uh, that changes if you're loved by God. Again, most people, many people, deny the return of Jesus or they don't think about the return of Jesus because in the back of their mind, under all the other stuff, is this little little voice saying, I don't want to go there. I'm not ready for that. Peter knows that about, about us. And so he, if you are a Christian and you know Jesus and you've turned from your life of sin, he says, you are beloved by God. God loves you, right? The God who's coming, who's going to end history, right? He loves you. He set his love upon you. You don't have to fear that day. In fact, that same God uh, who is returning in history has already come in history, right? He came as a man. He came living a life in your place, dying for your sins, right? Resurrected over death, right? And if you've trusted him, he has set his love upon you, not based on your emotions, right? But based on what he's decided. So um, if God loves you, that's true. If you're one of his people, right, 
we can we cannot avoid uh, this day. We don't have to shirk away from it. So if, if you know your beloved, here are a few things to know about that day. Uh, know the timing of this day. It'll be certain but surprising. This is a uh, um, verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. All right. So again, throughout the New Testament, we hear that the return of Jesus is imminent. It's coming. It's soon. It could be this evening. That's a real possibility, right? Uh, God has said that over and over again. It's coming, um, but it's going to be surprising. The only time you know Jesus is not returning is when someone says they know he's returning, right? Um, but, uh, but notice he says, like a thief. And uh, the idea here is not that for believers, the day of the Lord is going to be a bad thing. The idea is that um, thieves don't come at times you expect, right? They don't come when the lights are on. Um, just imagine, uh, imagine uh, your, your pastor has the gift of prophecy, okay, and I could predict the future. And I told you, all right, uh, that sometime in your life, I'm not going to tell you when, but sometime in your life, someone is going to attempt to break into your house, rob you, and hurt you, okay? Uh, all right, that's going to happen, okay? But they may or may not succeed. We'll see, all right? Anytime in your life, what do you, what do, you do, okay? I, you, can't, you can't stay up with a shotgun in your bed every day, right? You have to sleep at some point in time, okay? Uh, you can't just not go home, all right? What, how do you prepare for something like that? Something that could happen anytime, but you don't know if it's gonna happen at any time. Uh, maybe by a German Shepherd, right? Or my dog who barks at anything outside. Um, uh, you could install a security system, okay? Get some self-defense classes. Um, you know, set up some booby traps if you're into that. Just kidding. Uh, but uh, I, think, I, think, I think if you knew, if you knew that you were in danger, but you didn't know when it was, you would aim for a prepared life. Not just prepared moments, but you would set up your life in such a way so that you would be prepared. I think the idea, why does a believer need to know that Jesus is coming like a thief? It's not to make us scared, um, but it is to make us, it is to help us attempt to live in long-term readiness, to set up our lives in such a way um, that we are prepared for Jesus' coming. Uh, also, know the reason for this timing, this certain but surprising timing. This is verse, uh, verse 8 and 9. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So there are two reasons uh, why the return of Jesus seems to be delayed, why Christians have been waiting on it for 2,000 years. The first uh, is kind of a mind-blowing reason, and that is that God experiences time differently than we experience it. Uh, let, that, uh, let that just... Chew on that for a little while, okay? God does not experience time in this slow way we do. I think, I think the idea here is, I don't want to read too much into this, but I think the one day, thousand years, thousand years, one day, I think in one day, okay, because the Lord is omniscient and he knows all, right, um, and he's, he, he embodies every moment right, of human existence all over, all over the world, all over the universe, okay, in this moment, right? I think the idea there is there is enough experience uh, life in one day from God's perspective to be a thousand years. I think that's the idea. I could be wrong. 
Likewise, okay, because God is infinite and omniscient, all of time is laid out before him. In, in just a day, he sees a thousand years, right? Um, again, just let that help you see the Lord's immensity a little bit. Um, but there's another reason why uh, the Lord's return is delayed, not just how he relates to time, but he's not slow to fulfill his promise, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish. So the, the whole reason that Jesus has not returned yet to bring his kingdom and judge the wicked and save his people is because God's heart, in, his, in the deepest parts of God's heart, what, what God desires is that all people should reach repentance. There should be nobody who perishes on that day. Now, we know from Scripture that's not the case, okay? But, but God's heart, his, his desire, his, his love overflows to people. He waits to bring the fulfillment of all things, okay, so that people in this room who might be on the fence about Jesus can reach repentance, so that your neighbors, right, the millennial nuns, right, who don't go to church in the apartment complexes, right, he's waiting so that they can reach repentance. Um, notice, and it's interesting, in this passage that is so full of God's judgment, we see God's love on full display. Uh, but it's, uh, the Lord's patience is really cool. I, I don't know if you guys have ever been late for a flight. Anybody here ever been late for a flight? Um, I, one time I was uh, traveling through London, and uh, my plane, I had a two-hour layover, and I was like, man, that's plenty of time. My plane landed 45 minutes late. It took me uh, 45 more minutes to get in the terminal and get through security. And so I had 15 minutes, all right, to sprint about two miles across London Heathrow Terminal. And uh, literally, like, it was so bad. Like, I was sprinting, sweating. Things were falling out of my bag. I wasn't, I wasn't going to get them back. Like, I'm just, I'm just running. Like, I just don't want to be laid over in London. And I got there, and literally, I was the last person to board the plane. Like, there wasn't anyone there. There was one person there. And they held the plane for me. And uh, that's incredible. And I think in God's heart, right, God could have returned in 100 A.D., but his heart is to hold the plane for people, for people who are late. Um, so God, so this day will come, a surprising time, it is certain, uh, the Lord waits because of his mercy, but this day will come, and the last thing Peter tells us throughout this passage is what's going to happen uh, on this day, um, and there's this recurring image of all creation being set on fire, uh, just notice this, uh, verse 7, by the same word, the heavens and earth that are now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Uh, verse 10, again, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Again, verse 12, the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. So in Peter's mind, the day of judgment, when Jesus returns, will be a day of fire. And there's a lot of really, this is a very interesting passage. There's a lot of colorful imagery here. Uh, why do we talk about the heavens being set on fire? Why, like, that's an interesting image, right? We can talk about returning, you know, in, in Revelation 20, there's an image of us standing before the great right throne and answering for our lives, right? But why the heavens being set on fire? I think, I think the idea here, that there's nothing really more permanent than the stars, Right? You look in the sky, you look at the universe, and they're the one thing that remains. Even the earth, like we could have plagues or nuclear holocausts, and the, and the, the stars would just stay there. Right? It's almost like they wouldn't, they wouldn't go anywhere. They're just hanging out. 
And I think Peter just takes the most permanent thing we can think of. And he says when Jesus returns, they're going to melt. In other words, okay, reality as you know it, it's going to be gone. How you've experienced life up until this point, there will be a marked change. All the things that we've hidden behind, right? Those things in our hearts we've covered up, they will be exposed. So, uh, but second, fire does destroy. Right? Notice that. You've, if you've lit something on fire or seen it or been around a fire, eventually the wood's gone. Fire destroys. And there's this idea here, this very clear idea, okay, that some things, I don't think everything, but some things uh, at the Day of Judgment will pass away forever. They will be destroyed. Um, I, think, I think the idea of people who resist and scoff the Lord Jesus, they will be destroyed. I think, I think in a real sense, uh, lots of things in creation will be destroyed. Um, I don't think that my house or the 8 million hour library on Netflix is going to make it. Okay? I think they're going to be burned up, right? Um, there's a new heavens and new earth coming. I don't know if Netflix is coming with us, guys. Um, you know, statues, civilizations, bank accounts, right? All the things we let our security in, they're, gonna, they're not going to make it. They're going to be burned. Um, and I think the idea, I think the reason that this is here is, I think the idea is you don't want to set your affections and your life on something that's going to be burned up, right? My house is great. I love it. Okay, it's good to have a roof over my head, right? Um, Netflix is okay. It's fun. It's entertaining, right? Money is a good thing. God gives it. But if I set my hope there, my hope's going to be thwarted. I'm going to lose it. Um, but there's a third thing about fire, I think. I think this is here. Uh, fire purifies. It doesn't just destroy. Fire purifies. Um, if you want pure gold, you have to heat it to very high temperatures, you know, you boil things to get all the bacteria out of them. Heat purifies. I think, I think the idea here, especially as we look forward to the end of the passage in verse 13, the new heavens, new earth, I think the idea of fire doesn't just destroy, it also purifies. So whatever is going into the new heavens and new earth, God's going to purify that through fire. So you need a little clear-headedness. You need to get out of the haze of our day that denies the return of Jesus Right? What you need is this vision. See the world on fire. See life and reality as you know it melting away. You before the king. Everything you've hidden behind, right, gone. Just you and God. Reality as you know it, gone. Peter thinks that in our day when you'll never hear right, about Jesus coming and you being before him, he thinks this image is going to help you wake up. It's going to stir your hearts. My hope is that it does. What does it look like to get stirred up according to Peter? He gives us uh, several applications here in the last three verses. Uh, so he says in verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God? Part one of having your heart stirred up, of seeing this day, is to live a life of holiness and godliness. Um, holiness is a word that means set-apartness. It means being different. God is holy in that he is distinct from the world. He's not like us in our sin, okay? So I think the idea here is that uh, holy people, all right, it's not like holy huddle, like holier than thou, but like holy people are set apart and different from the world, okay? And godliness here, as we talked about a few weeks ago, 
Godliness is just a, a warm regard for God, an affection for God. You think of Jesus, your heart is warmed, right? And notice, uh, it's so interesting. I think godliness and holiness make so much sense in connection with the return of Jesus. Why are people in this world selfish and greedy and immoral and arrogant, right? It's because their hope is set in this life, right? They've got their plans and dreams, right? And they hold them with clenched fists and they will do anything to get them. That's where sin comes from, placing your hope in this life. So believer, freed to see that though this life is good and there's good things in it, that it's all going to burn one day, right? Freed to see that, right? You can open your hands. You can embrace holiness. You can have patience. There's also godliness, you know? Godliness is just a warm love for God. Listen, if there's a day when genuinely all I will have is my relationship with the Lord, right? All of a sudden, right, there's a desire for that to be a real living thing. I can't just check the Jesus box off, right, and do my thing, right? If, if there is really going to be a day when I'm going to be before God, all of a sudden there's this desire to actually know him, right, to live in relationship with him. So, first thing, holy and godly life. Second thing, though, waiting for and hastening becoming day of God. We don't just wait for Jesus' return, we hasten it. And there's this, uh, there's this wonderful idea here, and that is that I think uh, some of us, especially those of us who believe that the Lord is sovereign uh, and who, who, that he brings his purposes to pass when he pleases, okay? There's a, there's a temptation when you believe that. I think that's true. It's in the Bible, okay? There's a temptation when you believe that to say, well, God's just going to do what he's going to do. And so, I guess I'm just going to do what I'm going to do, or whatever, right? There's an idea here, though, that if you're, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you're, if you're a person who lives on this earth, okay, your life has cosmic significance. When you live faithfully, right, when you engage people with the gospel, you are moving history towards the end. Think about that, right? Listen, I think one of our biggest needs, right, is to have a bigger vision for our lives than just surviving, right, or than just having my dreams. We all long to be part of something more. This passage tells us that living faithfully, particularly um, being one of those people who desires all to reach repentance, right, and having a heart for unbelievers and ministering to them, right, you can actually move history forward. You're like a soldier entering the fray, giving the good guys one, like, one more advantage, your, your life matters. It has cosmic significance. It brings the day coming. So I would just plead with you uh, in light of this to get a, a bigger vision beyond having my needs met, living a good life, trying not to sin. Right? Get a picture of your life involved in this great story. Get a picture of your hope. Some of you might be thinking, though, and I've, I've heard this many times, why would I want to hasten the return of Jesus, right? There's a thought in all of our hearts. I kind of like my life. It's comfortable. I know I'm going to go to heaven eventually. Maybe I want to have some life experiences before that happens, right? I've heard that a lot. Maybe I want to get married. I want to accomplish my goals. I just, just Jesus, just hold off, okay, till I'm ready. Um, and that's very natural. Uh, look at verse 13, though. According to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens 
and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So everything else we've heard in this passage says when Jesus returns, the world ends, reality melts, we face him in judgment, right? This gives us what happens after that. There is a new heavens and a new earth. Don't you guys know that when Jesus returns, if you know him, right, that will be the fulfillment of every desire you've ever had. I think one of the chief experiences in life is that you look forward to something, right? And actually the looking forward to it is way better than the actually having it. And uh, that, that desire, C.S. Lewis said one time, if I have a desire that nothing in this world satisfies, it must be that I was made for a different world. And the idea here is that different world, okay, is not going to be an endless worship concert in heaven, which you eventually get bored in, okay? That's how many of us think of heaven, right? But there is a land that we can barely see, that we can barely glimpse with our eyes, where you, in relationship to God, will be fulfilled and happy beyond your wildest imaginations, right? And it won't just be you, right? There's a new earth, too. Do you notice that? Right? It's, not like, it's not like we're going to be like little angels floating around in our clouds, okay? There's a new earth coming, like, like cheer wine made new, okay? <laughs> your grandma's macaroni and cheese made new, okay? You made new, right? All those wounds you've carried, gone, right? Those, those parts of yourself that you just can't get over, right, healed. You'll be new. You'll be given the ability to see God in his fullness, so there really is a hope. There really is a, a future. There's, there's motivation to hasten this day to look forward to it. So I'm just going to close with a question. All right. Uh, if you knew, okay, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that Jesus would return at 5.37 p.m. this afternoon, okay? My guess is since I've said that, there's no way it's going to happen. But let's say if you knew that, okay, and if you actually believed that that was good news, okay, actually believed I'm in Christ that's good news if you believe believe those two things all right what would your afternoon look like what would you do now uh, my guess is that a Netflix and nap would not be that high on your priority list all right uh, I also don't think that knocking off everything on your bucket list would be there okay I don't think you'd be like hey let's get married real quick okay you know I pro- probably not okay you may still go to lunch with your friends but you probably wouldn't go looking for it to satisfy your soul. In fact, uh, you might all of a sudden have compassion for that waitress of yours, right? That doesn't, you may not know Christ. There might be, there's, 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 this, there's this new uh, man. The things I'm doing this afternoon, my pleasures and enjoyments, okay, really aren't that big of a deal. And in fact, people, right, other eternal souls, they are a big deal. It would probably happen. You'd probably have a prayerful, sober-minded, hope-filled, and maybe a bit tense and urgent of a Sunday afternoon. Um, and here's the thing. That is exactly the kind of life the Lord would have you live all the time. Right? That's the kind of health he would have for your soul all the time. I'm in the world, but I'm not addicted to the world. Okay? I'm around people, I'm loving them. Yes, I take care of myself, yes, I work a job, yes, all those things, right? But there's this, there's this quieter, more urgent, more holy kind of life that God desires for you. And you can have that, right? 
as you see the return of Jesus. So see this day is coming, pretend it's coming tonight, and live accordingly. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we need your help. Um, we just pray the Spirit would come and let the reality of this day just, just press on our hearts. We, we, just, we need you desperately for this. We are so prone to live for this life only. And uh, we just plead that you would change us. Give us that, um, that holiness and godliness that you desire of us. This grace, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.